Well, next Sunday morning, our young people will be back over in junior church and we'll be back to a regular schedule. Next week, we uh, launch all of our ministries. As Jared said, tonight is training for all of those ministries. And as I was praying several weeks ago about what to speak about this morning, um, God gave me a direction. I know we're in the middle of a series that we've been doing, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament, but I'm going to deviate today from that because I believe that God laid a message on my heart two weeks ago, about a year a really good pastor friend of mine, Bob Reed. Uh, we were together for a, a meal, and uh, at the end of that meal, Bob handed me a book. And I have to admit, I put that book on my shelf and didn't read it. And two weeks ago, I was looking through my books, deciding what am I going to read while I'm on vacation. And uh, I picked this book off the shelf and looked at what Bob had written in the front and said, you know what, I'm going to read this. And the title of that book was called Missions or Mission Drift. And boy, did it speak to my heart. It challenged me. And so from that book, I began to pray and begin to seek and ask God for a message. And so today, simply the title of the message is Mission Drift. And take your Bibles. It's going to take us a few minutes to get there. But turn them to Ephesians, the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 3. When we talk about the church, why does the church exist why do we what what is the purpose why do we gather here on sunday mornings why do we have a christian school why do we run a wana why do we have ignite why do we do the things that we do what is the purpose behind that well i have to admit to you on monday morning when i came to my office this week i had a direction i was going with this message and by Wednesday, God had totally changed my direction and brought me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians has much to say about the church. But in all of these years of ministry, 36 years of ministry, I've never seen this in this scripture. And that's why it's important to read God's word all the time, because he's constantly giving us things that we didn't see before when we go through it. When we think about drift, I think when I was eight years old, I learned for the first time what it meant to drift. Every year, my family would go to Wildwood for vacation, and often we would take one of my cousins. Being an only child, it's hard to play on the beach by yourself, and so we would take one of my cousins with me. And I remember this particular year, my cousin Tip went with us, and uh, my dad said, listen, you guys can go out in the water there, and, and we're going to be right here. We're not going to move. There'll be this, there was this huge orange umbrella. You couldn't miss it. And so we went out into the water, and we were out there body surfing and playing, and we'd been out there 40 minutes, and I looked, and I didn't see that orange umbrella. My first thought is they left us. <laughs> and I looked up and down the beach, and I didn't see it. Because unbeknownst to us, what had happened is we were there playing and body surfing. The undertow drifted us down the beach. You ever experienced that? You know, you go out and you play and you walk up and your towel's not where you thought you left it. It's because, you know, you've got to walk over six other people to get to where it was. Because what happens? You drift and you don't even realize it, do you? And so we're going to be talking about that because I think a lot of times we drift and we don't even realize we are drifting. 
Let me give you a couple educational examples of this. Consider the mission statement of this well-known university. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Pretty solid purpose statement, huh? It was founded in 1636. The university employed exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and rooted all its political policies and practices in a Christian world view. The school served as a bastion of excellence, education excellence. The mission statement, however, is not from Dallas Theological Seminary. It's not from Wheaton College. It's not from Liberty University, any of those schools, not from BBC. In fact, that mission statement is from Harvard University. Harvard University. In fact, if you graduated from the Harvard Divinity School, on your diploma is written this, Truth for Christ and the church. It's right on your diploma. But in 1701, clergy members gathered together realizing that Harvard was drifting. Not long after it started, it began to drift almost 70 years. Clergymen Cotton Mather approached a wealthy philanthropist who shared their concerns. This man, Eli Yale, financed their efforts, and in 1718, they named the college after him. The institution today is known as what? You tell me. Yale University. Yale University. Yale's motto was just, um, wasn't just truth like Harvard, but it was light and truth. It was their job. They saw it as they produced pastors to go out into the world and to bring the light of Jesus Christ to a dark world. That was why Yale started. But today, guess what? You know it. Neither Yale or Harvard resemble universities their founders envisioned. At the 350th anniversary celebration of Harvard, Stephen Muller, former president of John Hopkins University, didn't mince words. He said, the bad news is the university has become godless. Larry Summers, the president of Harvard, um, says this, things divine have been central neither to my profession nor to my personal life. Our contention is not that Harvard or Yale are bad educational. They're just bad at reaching the purpose for what they started with. They have drifted tremendously today from the purpose for which those schools. The changes at Harvard and Yale are dramatic, but they're not isolated incidents. How about the YMCA? I'm not talking about the song either. <laughs> I'm talking about, what did it stand for? Young Men's Christian Association. Maybe the Y is the only one we can say today. It's just not for men anymore. 
It's not Christian, and it's not even hardly association anymore. It drifted from their original goal of reaching men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how about the church? How about the church? And I'm not just talking about Mount Calvary Church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. Have we drifted from the purpose that God put us here for? And you might say, Dick, well, what is the purpose? Why do we exist? Why are we here? You know, we went, and, and earlier in the week, I thought maybe I'd start in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. And we know what that scripture says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to all the ages. And we know that that's the great commission. That's the commission that God gave to the church. That's our commission, but is that our purpose? I'm going to say I don't think so. I think that's a commission. I think we're supposed to be doing that, but I think there's even another purpose. When we understand the purpose, we're going to understand that commission a whole lot better. Or maybe it's we should go back to the first church in the book of Acts, and we could study that first church, and we go to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, and we can find out that the church did these things. It says they prayed, they taught, they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they fellowshiped, they studied together from house to house, the Bible says. Those are good things, and those are important things that we as a church should be doing, but I don't know that that's our purpose. Those are things that help us to carry out our purpose, but they're not our main purpose. So what is it? What is it? What is the purpose of the church? I believe we find it here in the book of Ephesians. And just before we look at that, I want us to pray, and then we'll look at it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your precious word and Father, my heart's prayer is today that we will be challenged. We'll be challenged through this book that promotes the unity of the church, that promotes the church as a body, that promotes, Father, uh, the gifts that he gives us to use in the church. And Lord, he's just not talking about MCC here. He, he's talking about all the churches that will meet together I think of Kanoi Brethren in Christ, that, that, that pastor there is going to be sharing the gospel. I think of LCBC today and all of their extensions, how they'll be sharing the gospel and the good news. And, and Father, many pastors in this area who love you and who stand and proclaim the word of God faithfully, our prayer is that today you will bless them and you will use them in a tremendous way. And praise God, Lord, we're not doing this alone. We're part of the universal church that you have put here for a purpose. And when we walk away today, may we understand that purpose that you've put us here for. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 10 and 11, I believe, spell it out for us. But I want us to go ahead and I want us to start back and I want us to start in verse 1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that we give to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, 
as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets of the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of the gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here's our verses. So that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal what? Eternal purpose. Eternal purpose that has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that verse 11, it says, you know, verse 10 is about this is the purpose. This is the eternal purpose that God, before the foundations of the world, had set for the church. And here Paul, he's just reminding us in those first verses. Paul says he was given the privilege of bringing the gospel, the good news, to the Gentiles. That through him, he has had the privilege to minister but this privilege has done something else too. It's produced a mystery. And he talks about this mystery. And what is this mystery? It's the mystery that was, had never been given before this age. We didn't find it in the Old Testament because the church isn't in the Old Testament. The church is not Israel. Okay? And as he said, but here's the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles who hate each other can come together through conversion and have what? Unity in this body called the what? Church. No matter what our race is, no matter what our color is, that we can gather together, that we can come together in this thing called the body of Christ, working as one unit to accomplish our purpose. And Paul said it's a great mystery, but that mystery is now being revealed as the church has started and the church is growing here tremendously. And so that mystery that once was has now been revealed and that mystery is the church. And how exciting, how exciting it is. We pretty much gather here at Mount Calvary Church in a white Anglo-Saxon group, don't we? I have to tell you the one thing I do miss about New Jersey is when we gathered on a Sunday morning, we had Filipinos, we had African-Americans, we had all kinds of mixed marriages. It was great because it helped me to envision what the church is going to be someday when we get to heaven. It's going to be a lot different than it looks like here today. It is. That's why I'm, I'm excited about missions because missions about spreading the glory of God to the world to produce what? a universal church that Christ is coming back for someday. 
the church, the Jews and the Gentiles coming together in one body. And you know the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. But God, through conversion, through salvation, through the gospel. So I think there's three questions this morning that we're going to answer quickly about this text. And to understand this text, we have to answer those three questions this morning. And so the first one is this. Who are the rulers and authorities? Look back there, if you would, in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. Now, we put this out on Facebook, and there's a few people who made some guesses at what these rulers might be. But I'm going to ask you to stay within the book of Ephesians and go over to chapter 6, as you would, a very familiar portion of Scripture that many of us know. It's that famous portion on the armor of God. And I want you to look there. And we'll start in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. He says, listen, this is why you need to put on this armor. This is why it's so important. Because the devil has all kinds of schemes. He has all kinds of temptations that he's going to bring into our life that we're going to face. It's not God who tempts us. It's Satan who tempts us. It's our own flesh who tempts us and draws us away from God. So he says, listen, you need to put on this armor on a daily basis because here, here's what's going to happen. Satan is going to bring all kinds of schemes. He's going to plant all kinds of wrong thoughts and untruths into your mind throughout the day. He's going to let pictures come across your mind that's going to draw you in the wrong direction. And he says, so put on the armor. But then look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. It's the same Greek words that are used here as are used in chapter 3 against the cosmic, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the what? Heavenly places. So right away, let me tell you this. What is he talking about when he's talking about in chapter 3? Again, go back there. Chapter 3 in verse 10 when he's talking about the wisdom of God might be now be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. Let me tell you who I believe he's talking about. Let me tell you who I believe it is. I believe he's talking about Satan and the imps of hell, the demons. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen, we're wrestling against powers and we're wrestling against the imps of hell all around us. And sometimes as Christians, we go on through life like, ah, it's no big deal. We're in warfare. Just ask some of the teachers that teach in public school. It's warfare sometimes. You see, even here at Mount Calvary Christian School, it's a warfare for the minds of these young people. All of these young people don't come from great Christian homes. Remember, only 100 of the 400 and some students that will attend Mount Calvary Church are from Mount Calvary. 
doesn't mean that both parents are saved. They come from some very difficult situations where the presence of Satan and the demons of hell are constantly wrestling against those homes. And if there's one place Satan wants to get, it's in the home. If he destroys the home, he destroys the church. We're in a war here, folks. We're in a war. It's just like it was in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the same thing he's talking about here. One writer on this text says, Have all of our modern scientific advances given us a handle on the evil forces in the world? Is not just the opposite the case? that the cosmic forces of evil manage to get a handle on every human invention, every human institution, and corrupt them and turn them for destruction. Nuclear power becomes the basis of international braggadocia and mutual threats of national suicide. Multi-purpose petroleum because the currency of international blackmail. Pain-revealing drugs become a multi-billion dollar market in life, in, in life, destroying narcotics. Advances in obstetrical science serves to refine the technique of manslaughter through millions of abortions. Free enterprises uh, degenerates into money-loving greed and exploration of the third world countries and the grand institution of the university sinks to the babble normlessness. Don't tell me that Satan and the imps of hell aren't having a heyday in this world. Just look all around us. Look what's going on. So we have to come back and we have to ask ourselves that question. You know, who are these powers? Who are these? Again, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to these rulers, to the demons of hell, to Satan himself, who rule the cosmic, or who are in this cosmic world all around us. The next thing we have to look at is the text. It says the wisdom of God. So that we can be showing these the wisdom of God. Wisdom, facts, what facts has been made known to the church so that we can make it known. We cannot display to others what we have not been shown ourselves. Is that not true? You can't display to others what you haven't been shown yourself. So he's talking about the wisdom of God. So that wisdom has to be manifested to us for us to be able to understand it. And I really believe when you study again the text and you look at the flow of what Paul's saying here, is he's simply saying this. He's saying, listen, back, verse, back, back in verse 2, he talks about God's grace, how it was revealed to Paul through the mystery of the gospel. He talks about the mystery of Christ, the gospel that brings together all people. The gospel. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about not just his death and his burial and his resurrection and praying a prayer. I'm talking about how the gospel makes a change in our life. When we're saved, we become a new creature in Christ. We ought to have new patterns. We ought to be treating each other differently. We ought to be treating each other right. There ought to be new patterns that are in our life because we're Christians. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming what? New. New. 
He's saying, listen, this is the manifold wisdom of God. And we know through our studies in Ephesians, right in the beginning of Ephesians, chapter 1 says, before the foundations of this world that we're living in, before we were created, before Genesis 1, which we just looked at this summer, before God created, he had a plan of redemption that he was setting forth. Remember we talked about Genesis 1? That Genesis 1 is simply the stage that redemption will be played out on. We've talked about that. It's the stage when God created, created the stage that he would play out the story of redemption. And we're part of that story. And that's the plan of God, redemption. And so when he's saying, listen... This wisdom that has been made known to us, it's the gospel. It's how it changes lives, how it transforms lives, how it makes people's lives different than they used to be. That's what he's talking about. So think about this. The purpose of the church, it's not to tell to the imps of hell and Satan, hey, let me tell you the gospel, because you know what? They know what the gospel is. They've seen it played out. They've seen it lived out. And so it's not for us to tell them out about it. Here's what I believe this text is saying. He's saying our mission of the church is to show them that the gospel plan works. It works. It transforms lives. You know, because listen, the imps of hell don't want the gospel to work. They don't want lives to be changed. They want people to stay just like they are. But God says, listen, your purpose is the cosmic evil looks down on this world. They're saying, ah, look at that. Just think about it. Go back to the book of Old, uh, book of Old Testament. Sorry about that. A book in the Old Testament, Job. Think about Job. What did God say? The devil came to God and said, hey, you know, how about Job? And he said, what do you mean, what about Job? He said, well, let me test him, and, and I'll show you. It doesn't work. Your plan doesn't work. He says, go ahead. And what did he do? He took his family. He, he brought boils upon his body. And what? God's plan worked, didn't it? It worked. And so it's like us saying, listen, let me show you God's plan works. That's why the church exists. We exist. Our purpose is to show the imps of hell and Satan God's glory and his glorious salvation. And his salvation changes lives. It changes attitudes. It changes hearts. It changes us. And it works. You thought you were just living for each other. No! You're living to prove it works. And listen, I, I love what he says in verse 12. Because he says, you know what? You're going to be showing the imps of hell. You're going to be showing Satan that this plan works. And you can have something. Listen, he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith. In living out the Christian life, I can have boldness. I can have confidence. What did he tell us in the Great Commission? Go forth because what? I'm going to be with you. Jesus is with us. He's there to help us. He's there. And this is about God's grace flowing through us to other people. Paul spells it out. 
Your ministry is God's grace working through you to others. So let's flush it out real quick. When you share the gospel with someone and that person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you know what you can do? You can turn to the cosmic imps of hell and say, See, it works! It works! When you see God working in your life and when he's changing your life, you can say, It works! Like a family this week who went to Harrisburg from our church and fed the poor, It works! Like teachers who will stand up and proclaim the gospel and share the gospel. It works. When we minister to someone who's hurting, it's working. When there's unity in the church, it's working. We can say it's working. When we have all against a brother or sister in Christ, and maybe they've hurt us, but we still go and we forgive them anyway, we can say what? It's working. But you know, if you sit here and you're harboring bitterness towards somebody today, the imps of hell are saying, hey, hey, look at that one down there. It's not working very well there, is it? It works. Or it doesn't work. When we overcome a temptation that we're struggling with and we see victory, again, we say, hey, it works. When we send missionaries around the world, it's working. See, we think our Christian life and our church is all focused here on earth. It's focused in the cosmic world also. God says it should be focused above, not just below. That's what we're to do. That's our mission. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration as I close of, in an educational sense, how it works. I'm going to read to you, and we're going to put up a picture. This is written by a teacher. It says, I first met Abby at cheerleading tryouts. She was friendly, enthusiastic, and made the squad. I got to know her through summer practices, and she quickly emerged as a leader on the squad. But I also saw, saw a troubled young girl who was struggling to navigate middle school and all the social pressures that come with it. By the end of that first year on my squad, Abby had grown to trust me, and I was glad she felt comfortable confiding in me so I could answer her questions from a Christian worldview. I was also glad that her mother and I had a good relationship that allowed for me to get permission to bring her along to me to participate in a youth event at the church where I was attending and worked as a junior high leader. From that initial event, Abby wanted to continue coming with me to youth group. And so each Wednesday night, I would drive into the city of Lancaster and pick her and a few other kids up and bring them with me. I used the car rides home to further discuss what every Bible message they had heard that night and try to weave it back to the gospel. This continued for the whole second year that Abby was on my cheer squad, but at the beginning of the next summer, I got married and moved to Kentucky. I was glad to know I was leaving her in good hands with our youth leaders at the church. 
Abby has made a profession of faith since I moved away and continue to attend the church, even going on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic. As a teacher, I was so proud of Abby when she graduated high school, and I am still proud to see her continue her education as a dentist assistant. But as a Christian, I am glad that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with her and see those seeds bear fruit. Church, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's being able to shake our fist in Satan's face, going against the gates of hell and say, listen, God's plan is much better than your plan. Your plan of drugs and alcohol and sex and all the stuff that you bring into this world God's plan is better. It works. It can deliver. And church, that's why we exist. Because we're in a cosmic battle. And we just sort of float through life sometimes. Not realizing what we're really here for and our purpose. You know, listen, when we get our focus on each other, our mission, we've drifted. When we get our focus on what I want and what I desire, we've drifted. Because it's not about us. It's about showing the world it works. God's plan works. Can we bow our heads? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed and no one looking around, maybe today you slipped into our service and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you're not 100% sure you'd go to heaven. The most important decision you will ever make in life is not where you'll go to school. It's not what church you'll attend. It is not who you'll marry. It's not what job you'll have. The most important decision you'll make in life is what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's gift to us. He saw our plight as sinners. He knew we could not save ourselves. We couldn't work our way into heaven. So he knew the only possible thing for us was to send his son to die for our sin, all of them. But we have to accept that gift. We have to come to that point in our life where we realize we're sinners. We believe that Christ died on the cross for our sin. And we put our faith and trust in what he did for us and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you're here today and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven... Today could be the day of salvation for you. So I would encourage you, before you leave this church property, that you speak to Pastor John or Dr. Sheard or myself, and we'd love, or want to have our men or one of our women sit down and show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Christian, can I ask you this morning? Can I ask you a simple question? Are you living a life that you could throw your fist up in the face of Satan and the imps of hell and say, look, it's working. It's working. The gospel is working. Like Paul, when he stood before Agrippa, said, it, before man... And before God, my conscience is clear. I am right with both. I'm right with every human. I am right with God. When that's the case, man, it is working. But would you say, you know what, Dick? I don't think it's working real well in my life right now. And 
Would you pray for me? I'm convicted about that. I'm convicted that my life portrays to the imps of hell and to Satan it's working. Would you pray? Would you just, no one's looking around. Would you just slip up your hands and, and say, you know, I'm not really sure that I'm portraying that right now. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Hard to raise our hand and admit that. Anyone else? Say, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm showing that right now. I want to read this statement and then close. My prayer this morning is this, for all of us, that we might keep before ourselves the new, this new incentive for walking worthy of our calling. In all loneliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The new incentive is this. All the principalities and powers in the heavenly places are watching this week to see if we, if we, the church, will live as if God is wiser or if he is foolish. Let's show them by the way we live that God's mysterious plan is not failing, that it's working. That's our purpose. And as we go forth this week, let's go forth realizing that we're living in a cosmic battle. And our whole purpose this week is to be able to say, hey, look, it's working. God's word is working in my life. God's word is making a difference. The gospel is alive in me, and so I want to make it alive in other people. Share it this week as you go forth. Let's go forth, be able to put our fists in the face of Satan and the imps of hell and say, it works. Have a great week. We'll see you.